You are about to listen to an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio, which this week comes to us from our newest sponsor, Wandering Monster. Uh, this is pretty dang cool. So Wandering Monster is a Portland-based online tabletop RPG game for adults and kids. So what it is is basically, um, you know, if you've got kids that are interested in D&D or, um, you know, you want to have a private session... Uh, you and your friends in D&D, and you don't have a DM, you don't have time to create a game or any of that stuff, but you really want to play, or you really think your kid wants to play, or your kid really does want to play, and, <clears throat> like, has nowhere to go, that sounds bad. You know what I mean. It's hard to get a gaming group together, so that's where Wandering Monster steps in. So it's uh, groups four to six. Um, they can be larger, depending on a special event or something like that. So basically what you do is, you all you do is order your package, and they come in four-week bundles, and it's uh, two-hour games within that four-week bundle. That includes um, custom character creation, helping you with the rules, getting you going, um, and then you've got a game online. You get to play. Like, if your kids have been watching, uh, you know, RPG streams online and everything, they already kind of know what it's like. Like, they're ready to go, and Wandering Monster... Is there for you? They have, you know, that they they come with the DM. They come with the games. It is all ready to go. I honestly wish this was around when I was like, you know, thirteen years old and just getting interested into into D and D and whatnot and stuff like that. Um, and you already know you can trust the person running the show because it's our own friend Greg of Building Character. You have seen the passion he puts into role playing games, especially D and D. Now he's going to bring that passion to your friends and family with Wandering Monster. So find them online wandering-monster.com to learn all the other details and keep listening to Geek and City Radio because every week I'm going to highlight a uh, a new a new function of wandering almost a new ability which kind of fits actually of wandering monster to help you uh, help you get the game going so yeah please check them out wandering-monster.com all you do is show up wandering monster provides the adventure let's start the show why, hello, and welcome to issue 607 of Geek in the City Radio. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. I'm one of your other hosts, Bina And I am your other other host, Cable Hashitani. How's it going, everybody? I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sedate this Tuesday, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like in a, in a good way or a... I mean, not, it's not in a bad way. I'm just... That's fine. I'm just kind of sleepy. A little <laughs> tired. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. Not, if I if I had a whiskey in front of me, I would be very mad oh, kind of here right now. Man, from your lips to the goddess's ears. All of them. All their ears. I have at least two kinds of bourbon over there. Why did I not put them over here? Why did you not bring them to me? I have oh. no bourbon right now. None. How can, how can be? At Getty. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a that's, that's a 1% joke for our listeners. Mm-hmm. If, if you know him, you know him. <laughs> uh, I'm still adjusting to, you know, working all of the days. Working. That's working. true. Working all of the time, you know, by comparison to working never of the time. Um, not going never, well, though. but yeah, yeah, everything's going fine. It's just, you know, it's, it's an adjustment period, both in terms of like learning a new job, but also just like being back in the workforce. 
Yeah, that would be weird. I don't know what I would do if I had to like, I guess like punch a clock again, as it were. I don't. I'm just. It would be weird. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't done it in so long. Um. Like I feel like if I worked, I could. Yeah, I feel like I would just stand around for a while and be like, "What am I supposed to do?" <laughs> uh, it's, it's not that so much as it is like I'm tired. I did a thing five days today. <laughs> Um, yeah. I was really, really reticent about going back to work full time, but you know, if I wanted this job, it's a full time job, and so here I am. I mean, as jobs go, it's pretty sweet. You're convincing people to order one of the most delicious ciders in the world. Yeah, yeah. I just I popped into a bar today and spent half an hour talking about booze and and pouring cider for the owner, and you know, hopefully they're gonna buy some of it. Uh, You've retrieved but... your true form. Woo! <laughs> I know it's funny. I can actually, this is some inside baseball. Uh, I can almost always tell whenever there's a new client because I'm still linked into all the messages. Oh, all the account stuff. Right. <laughs> when I get the, Baba has made an invoice for Baba. I'm like, them. Nice. Yeah. Nat's going to hear this. He's like, son of a bitch. I got to take Aaron off that. Not that it does anything. It just adds like 20 extra emails to me every day that I just delete. <laughs> Okay. I'm I started getting emails fr- uh, not directly from my old job, but uh, from one of the vendors that they use. Essentially, oh, like right. I'm getting, essentially, I'm getting lab reports from one of the lens labs, and it's not something that ever happened until earlier this year. I'm like, ow! Oh. I there was never a time where I needed to be getting emails about the lenses being made. Not right. even when I work there because I don't handle that part of the business. Yeah. And I certainly don't need him coming to my personal email a year and a half after I stopped working there. Yeah, not cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one thing I can't say, I can't say with who, but I have landed a pretty, hopefully I get to keep it, but a pretty good uh, contracting writing gig gig for a, for a mobile app game company. Which is pretty dang cool. That should be fun. Yeah. Well, it's a type of writing I've been trying to kind of break into a little bit because that opens up a whole new, you know, venue of, of writing. I've always wanted to do game writing and like branching stories. I think that's just fascinating. So this gets my foot in the door in that part of the industry too, which is pretty cool. Yeah, this is like almost exactly the sort of thing that you were looking for. It's totally one of the things I was looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it also allows me to financially breathe a bit. Always nice. Yeah, it's amazing. Like you start to sleep better. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not as depressed and angry all the time. Yeah, it's, it's amazing what security does for your life. Yeah, but, this is yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to see what else. Oh, my uh, incredibly nerdy. Silver edition of Von Richten's Guide to Ravenloft showed up yesterday, and it's absolutely friggin' gorgeous. Um, so I'll be using that when we get to play in person eventually. Yeah. Uh, it comes with a metal planchette. The planchette that's in the back of the book, it comes with a metal one with a magnifying stone in the center of it. That's pretty dang cool. Yeah, nice. and then it comes with an unfold, like a, a fold-out spirit board that's the size of it's like a three by four poster it's huge 
Uh, so I'm promptly going to um, apply it to particle board and seal it. Doesn't make it very portable anymore, but it does make it bitching. Um, and, and then it also, part. yeah, and then it also comes with um, just. I thought the neck, the amulet that came in the Curse of Strahd was wanky as hell. The amulet that comes in this one is even more wankier. It is like a three D metal um, raven necklace with like the wings that fold out. And then instead of a regular head, though, it's the Corvus skull coming through it made of like fake bronze with the chain. And it's just it's so very extra. And I love it so much. Nice. I'm just going to put on a cape and wear it everywhere I go. <laughs> no, put it on a big old chain. It comes on a big old chain. That's what I mean. I mean well, then what do you, do you need the cape for? this a cape i mean that's why it, it's like it's 2021 bring back capes who the fuck Heck cares? yeah yeah i'm not saying don't do that or i'm against it i was just like it looks it seems like it's ready to wear right now it is i mean i do have that cloak that purple lined cloak that's black on the outside with the hood that's pretty mm-hmm, righteous too mm-hmm. yeah. i mean yeah if you've already got something and you've got some cloak pins ready yeah. to go you're yeah. Do it up. Just do it. Be good. Do it up. It allows you to do the unfurl too, which is the best part of owning a cape and/or cloak. Uh, so anyway, what else? What else are we talking about? I'm just filling time here. <laughs> uh, so we've uh, got some. Go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. Oh, okay. So we got some Bad Batch. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit about Masters of the Universe Revelations, and then are we doing Fear Street? Nineteen ninety-six. I haven't watched any Fear Street yet. Okay, we'll wait on that then. Uh, well, I didn't I, think we were ready, but yeah. And like, I, I had wanted to bring in a uh, a guest for that oh, too, shit. That's so that right. we could all do right. all three at once. Oh, that, okay. That takes some coordination. Right. That totally works. That way, I, I feel less pressure to cram all the movies in. Yeah, I. And, they were like they were paced out so that people could watch them over a three week period. Oh, was that how they released them initially? Yeah. It was oh, okay. every Friday. Mm. Okay, oh, and I cool. did, but they were already all three out when I watched them, so I think I watched them like in a week and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. it, they did it as an event thing, so mm. that makes sense. That's cool. I guess I guess we could have been more on top of it, but that's fine. I think it'll be more fun to have a guest and just review them all together. I yeah, mean, totally. Yes, we could be more on top of it, but at the same time. There is so much media being directed at us from so, 16 different streaming services. Um, and now with theaters are getting back into the, the swing of things. It's, it's a lot. It's yeah. a lot to keep tra- track of. Um, I think it's more important that we find the things that we really want to watch and find out whether or not they're quality and then talk to folks about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean I'll just add it quick because I, I see the potential in Fear Street. And from the first one I saw, so that's kind of where I'm at with that. Cool. Um, so yeah, then we got Bad Batch and we got some Motu. Um, but yeah, Cable. Speaking of theaters, there's a couple movies that are coming out. Like this Friday, it's not a big release, but I am wondering if I want to go see The Green Knight in the theater because I do want to see that like on the biggest screen I can. That's out now, right? Friday. Friday. 
Oh, why did I think it was already? You know. Um, I don't feel as like I think it looks gorgeous, and I would like to watch it, but I don't yeah. feel as motivated to go see it. Sure, um, but I get exactly where you're coming from. Like yeah. I think it needs to be seen in such a way that it tells studios that no more of this, please. Yeah, and and also just from a pure aesthetics, from what I've seen in the trailer. I mean, it looks like it's shot beautifully, and something tells me the sound design is really going to benefit from that theatrical sound, and I just don't have that set up anymore. I haven't had a theater surround sound in well over a decade. Sure. I I feel like it's a... Um, I feel like it is going to be the most significant movie set in the Arthurian... set in Arthurian lore since Excalibur came out in the 80s. I can see wow. that. I mean, I do hope so. I mean... Because that, I mean, that was still the benchmark movie that everybody went to or, or compared any Arthurian take was to, like, well, it's not Excalibur, but it did fine. Right, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no, totally. That's weird. No, I totally agree with that. Because um, I'm trying to think, like, there haven't been a whole lot of really good Arthurian movies. They're usually bad. Um, I remember, and I know not everyone feels this way, I remember really liking the TV movie Merlin. I think it was ABC that had oh, Sam Neill. Yeah, it was good. It uh, Like, not... It was not good, but it was it was right. bad. It was bad. Good. Yeah, I'm almost afraid to revisit it because I remember when it first came out. Like I wore that VHS out. Like I really dug it, and I feel like if I go back now, I'll be like, "Oh, this looks like something that was made for TV in 1992." Because <laughs> it was. Yeah. Um, I can't remember if I ever actually saw that one or not. Um, Merrick had told me she had really enjoyed. They're a series, right? There's like a five, six season long series. Uh, oh, you're talking about the BBC Merlin? Is that what it is? Yep. Mm. Tony Head. Be... It's got Tony Head and um, Lena Luther. <laughs> I can't remember that actress's name right now. Uh, uh, Katie McGrath. Katie McGrath, yes. As, as Morgan Le Fay. Uh, yeah, I think this is the one. It's on my Netflix uh, watch list, uh, but I added it because Merrick had said how good it was. And uh, and she's never led me astray, so. <laughs> That's true. Um... No, you're right. A lot of, a lot of Arthurian uh, movies and TV are kind of cheesy. They always feel cheesy to me. It... I think That's... any movie. Go ahead. Go ahead. What I was gonna say. I think. Um, I think almost any movie that kind of tries to capture that era and spirit. I feel like the the, the like the creators are always torn between: do we want to do our own hyper modernist take on it, or do we want to make it seem traditional where people are not speaking in hushed tones and there's a lot of these and thous and 
So it's like either do we want to go Excalibur or do we want to go fucking Guy Ritchie and his <laughs> Arthur, which is just bonkers. I, I was going to say, or or do you go more the direction of A Knight's Tale? Oh, yeah. Well, totally. not Arthurian. It's the medieval knights, and you either yeah. go, like, those are your two benchmarks, I think. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just really hard to do that, which is why I'm kind of Jasper Green Knight, because they're like, nah, we're just going to go horror. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to run that route. I don't think is a take that's been done before. Not I really. Like- I mean... Mm-mm. No, I mean Excalibur has had some creepy bits, but it's not meant to be a horror. Uh, well, I didn't realize it wasn't going to be available anywhere for streaming. I don't think they can because it's a twenty-four, and they're just looking at getting things into theaters. I don't think they have a a larger studio. Well, I'm sure they do have a larger studio they're attached to, but they probably don't want to put it on streaming. Yeah, I mean, all of their stuff ends up on streaming eventually, but it's usually like it's like Amazon or Showtime, like one of the more traditional sites. Just buy it, mm-hmm. like right. the witch. Like the witch is on whatever prime, like the you know that kind of thing. Netflix. Right. So yeah, I, I, but I think the A twenty three budgets are modest enough. They're like, all right, we've cleared, you know, we've cleared fifteen twenty million in the global box office, and then, you know, they basically get like their they basically do like criterion blu-ray releases Mm. because they take you know as wanky as it sounds they take film very seriously like this Mm -hmm. is what we do we know they they have some like very serious storytellers yeah and so you know makes what another five million on you know the aftermarket you know and then it goes and then they sell it to a streamer kind of thing Um, and then they're done and oh did you guys see the trailer they got for lamb their next one no. I started watching that and went, I I think I have seen enough that I would rather be disturbed by this once and once only. And <laughs> see I, it I, once and you're done? Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't I don't know where they're going, but it's got Numi Rapace. Who I love. And it just felt uncomfortable. And again, I made it a minute or so in. I'm yeah. like, I'm going to stop here. I'm going to stop here and come back to this. Yeah. Yeah, someone, I don't remember if it was Eater or not, but today someone said like, oh, it's like if someone wanted to place the witch in Midsommar. And I'm like, yeah, that's the vibe. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what that felt like. And I still haven't seen Midsommar. And that's oh, it's what good. It felt. It's good what I've heard. Uh, in the same world as Hereditary, yes. same universe. Which is- I haven't seen that either. Also, uh, I like that one more. They're both very good, but I like Hereditary more than Midsommar. Midsommar goes a little long for me. I think they could have trimmed like thirty minutes and made a tighter movie. But that's all about like I'm going to show you the atmosphere. I'm all about the atmosphere. Yeah, mm-hmm. and just playing with that bear. Just the just the descriptions of the trailers for Lamb are both repulsing and uh, intriguing. Yeah, that sounds about yeah. right. So I'm gonna have to remember to watch that later. Yeah, I yeah. think that the the trailer that I made it through the whole way today was Ghostbusters Afterlife. Oh, that's oh, right. Oh I'm my so god. I'm so happy. Um. 
I haven't looked up who that uh, actress is that that's playing the younger sister to um, uh, Finn Wolfhound. Thank you, Finn Wolf. Which is uh, a badass yeah. name. Wolf- Wolfhard. Finn Wolfhard. Um, McKenna Grace, I think, might be the sister. Mm-hmm. She looks to be about the age. I've seen her in something else then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What. She is but getting there. Man, oh. she looks like a tiny teenage Egon Spangler if Egon Spangler had been a girl. She really does. She naturally has like a straight blondish hair, but yeah, they, yeah. Uh, I remember what I saw her in, and I quite liked this movie. She was in Annabelle Comes Home, which I thought was a pretty solid Annabelle movie. She is the main character in Troop Zero. I haven't seen either of those things. And she was also in the most recent season of The Handmaid's Tale, where she's looking much more young womanly versus Troop Zero. She's definitely like a little kid. kid. Yeah. And I think for Ghostbusters, she's going to play somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That totally works. Because I feel like she's playing like a middle school or junior high, like 12 ish. Yeah. Like, I feel like she's probably supposed to be 14, where Finn Wolfhard is supposed to be 16. And I, I just look at her IMDb. She's right around 14 or 15, anyways. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, first off, uh, I love that every movie Paul Rudd is in, they find a way to make a Baskin Robbins reference, <laughs> which is kind of fantastic. Um, yeah, that trailer, and, and I mean this like in the best way possible. This trailer felt like if Amblin, Steven Spielberg's company, had made a Ghostbusters sequel in the late '80s or early '90s. It has that. It has that Spielberg small town thing of where like only the kids see what's going on and eventually the adults catch on, but now they've all got to face whatever the, the evil, the monster. Now they've got to face it all together. Right. Um, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. I I definitely dig that. Uh, The other things that I actually remember McKenna Grace from are Amityville, the awakening, Um, the haunting of Hill house, the chilling adventures of Sabrina and captain Marvel. Who she did she was playing Sabrina. She was young Sabrina Spellman. That makes sense. They oh. have the, they have the same eye shape and the same nose. Oh, and she's young Theo mm-hmm. in The Haunting of Hill House. I need to yep. rewatch that. I really liked that show until the end. Uh, I didn't. I didn't I, enjoy I liked, the last episode. I I liked it. I I liked it once I understood that it was a time travel movie disguised as a horror movie. I'm sorry. Yeah. What? There's a, have you not seen the haunting of Hill house? Yeah. I've seen it twice. Yeah. It's, it is a, um, science fiction time travel story. Well, under with, under the guise of being horror. I mean, it's also that, but it's also, you know, Ghosts are real, but they're also manifestations of the guilt that you carry when you don't speak your truth within the family. Yes. It which also, is, yeah. Which is the it, book, too. Yeah. But. It also very much takes the standpoint of time is a flat circle, and you oh, exist yeah. on all points of your own timeline, 
even when you are dead, because dead is just a different state of existence. Yeah. Yes. Now you have phrased it in a way that I can be like, it is absolutely that. Yes. Yeah. Man, that broken neck, what they call the broken neck lady. Just The, the bent neck lady. The oh, bent man. neck. Yeah. That's probably like the best reveal. Yeah. That is that, pretty sweet. Yeah. That was the best episode of, of that entire series. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I am inclined to agree. The the funeral or the pre-funeral episode is really, really good with that uh, continuous shot. Uh, but that one is is really uh, impressive and uh, like noteworthy because of the cinematography. Um, although there is a lot of like really good like familial tension and acting that goes into that, um, right? But so I, it, it's good. It's really really good for a different reason versus the bent neck lady episode. So holy uh, shit! Sorry, hmm. I think it yeah. was Brad in the chat just mentioned mm-hmm. another A twenty four movie coming out. So it's going to be a black and white film, The Tragedy of Macbeth, written and directed by Joel Cohen, starring Denzel as Macbeth, Francis McDermott as Lady Macbeth, Brandon Gleason as King Duncan. Holy crap. Hmm. Oh, Francis McDermott. Look at you. Oh, I am all over that. Oh, wow. Damn. Interesting. Yeah, that sounds like it's going to be a movie. Um, oh, while I'm thinking of it, and while we're on the topic of horror, um, we're also trying to get in touch with the folks that run the HP Lovecraft Film Fest, so we can talk to them. Stay tuned. Um, yeah, but I got this message from Gwen. Uh, Breaking news! And uh, tomorrow is the first day of the Portland Horror Film Festival. Nice. Five theater screenings, four streaming exclusive days, all programs stream at home in the U.S. And Saturday there will be two panels that are live streamed, um, one of them being Women of Horror Representation Matters. Oh, sorry. One panel is Women of Horror. The other panel is Representation Matters. Oh, that's cool. So that comes from Gwen Callahan of H.P. Lovecraft Film Fest. Nice. And Portland Horror Film Fest. I just drop that in the chat. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if if that's a thing that you're into, and if you're listening to the show, it's likely you are. You might want to go check that out. I feel bad. I've never actually made it to a Portland Horror Film Festival. It's usually because we're like doing stuff. Yeah. During yeah. this time period. Yeah, like, that's true. In the before times, we were not here. We were doing other things. Right. Which I don't remember what they were, but I, you're all correct. Not necessarily together, but we, like... Oh, yeah. October is a busy time for nerds. Yeah. Well, the no, the horror film fest is going on right now. Yeah. Is it always at this time of year? Yeah. Yeah. Well, then I don't have a good reason. Oh, other cons, usually. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, Hisham, I forgot. This is one thing. I may try to watch it, like, online, because I think they're streaming it. Mm-hmm. At the Horror Film Festival, there's an adaptation of Turn of the Screw, which is one of my favorite books. I think um, I saw something about that that feels very familiar. Like, that was a follow-up to The Haunting of Hill House, which for me didn't work, because Turn of the Screw is a very, very short story, and mm-hmm. it, there's no way it could be stretched out to that many episodes. It's just 
all filler and it was very disappointing to me. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's good stuff, man. It feels good to have, I know it's July, but you know what? We're in the double digits now for Halloween. So my body, I have, my soul has shifted back. We are apparently 69 days out from October. We're not yet. No, it's 96. Yesterday was 96. 96 for, oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Yesterday was 96 for Halloween, but 69 for October. That's what I meant. Halloween month. Thank you. Yeah. Also, where did that come from? Nice. Yeah. I have no idea. I just, I'm like, well, I can either, I can either fight this or just get on the boat. I could not tell you when it started. I mean, and it's a fun boat to be on, but. <laughs> what was that? Millennials. Nice. I, most I don't know of, why I. Yeah. Yeah, most of the millennials I know are the ones that are like, nice. You say 69 in front of them. Nice. I think everyone does it now. Yeah, pretty much. I got it from. Not people younger than me. Yeah, but you're a millennial. Yes, I know. Okay. But I was saying, like, if yes, millennials, like, normally it's the younger people who start a trend and then it works its way up the age brackets for yeah. the most part. Remember, she's a geriatric millennial. Yes, but still a millennial and still younger <laughs> than I am. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the, the the younger generation is a very relative term for me. That's true. I still feel like I'm this weird in-between. Like, I'm born late Gen Xer, but I grew up in a town that was culturally five years behind the rest of the country. <laughs> and I tend to vibe with the older uh, generation because... We could, almost, we could almost swap. Right, right. Well, I, I'm, like, really early in the bracket, and also I grew up faster than most people my own age so yeah uh other other people my age or in that around theirs are less likely to be have been latchkey kids right and things like <laughs> that i think there's still some definitely some latchkey kids in the um elder generation of millennials yeah. uh, but it's not pro- it's not considered prominent or necessarily part of that of of the millennial generation Right, because that was definitely more of the early onset uh, helicopter parenting. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What a what a weird way to open our show. In what way is any of what That's we true. just talked about weird for this show? That's true. It's all <laughs> good. We spent half an hour talking, bouncing between uh, uh, memes and uh, a lot of horror movies. We aren't planning on talking about today yeah (laughs) right that's true nice well should we jump into bad batch sure let's do all right oh real quick in in regards to nice and uh 69 uh greg uh has a has a kid who uh from you know from within his business uh and uh he he you know he said nice and was asked, why do you do that? And the kid said, I don't know. It's just an old internet thing and no one knows why anymore. Oh, uh, <laughs> so it begins. 
And then Greg shriveled up into an ancient husk and died. That's right. <laughs> it's it's fascinating to remember that there are people that we can interact with now in bars that the internet has always been part of their life. It has never not existed. Who've never touched have... a cassette tape. Never looked at it that way. Mm-hmm. The cassette tape part. I don't know why, because I think about it a lot. I'm I'm nostalgic for cassettes. I'm nostalgic for mixes. I am not nostalgic for the format. I'm I'm nostalgic for both. And and I can still make mixes, but I never have any time. Yeah, but I I I do like the curating of a really good mixtape. I used to make mix CDs all the time, but. I don't know. That felt too easy. Too much drag and drop. You didn't have to line shit up. You didn't have to. Well, there is still the element of making sure you can get everything to fit. Like, like these are the songs I want, but but I only have 84 minutes, and now I have, like, two and a half minutes unused. Well, that's not enough for any of these other songs, but if I take this song away, maybe I can fit these two other ones instead. There's There's some effort. There's some... That's true. There, there is a craft to it still, even on disc versus tape. There can be an argument made that there's still a way to do that, even if your um, platform of choice for making mixes is Spotify, in that you still have to take into consideration when do people check out? Mm-hmm. How long are they actually going to listen to a thing? How do you craft it in such a way that they listen longer? or they? How do you keep their attention the entire time? Right. Yeah. So there's, um, regardless of the format, there is always still a challenge that can be found in making a mix. I mean, that's true. Um, when I was, this was later in my army years, but like that's when uh, streaming and digital music devices was more becoming standard. Um, a lot of people I knew were very into curating the perfect running mix because it's one thing Mm -hmm. to create a mix that's good to run to. But if you're trying to achieve a certain runtime, like if I want to get down to eight minute miles, how can I create that motivation through the music? Like by the time I hit this song, I should be at a particular stride. By the time I hit this song, I should have made the halfway point. And if you're getting to the end of this song and you're not, as close to the finish line as, you know, as X distance or X mile marker on your route, then you know that you're falling behind. It was a whole thing. No, I could see that. Uh, All the mine were just themed and moody, shocking no one. (laughs) I I dated someone from Little One High School and she and I literally swapped mixtapes that were called Aaron's Angst and Sammy's Angst. <laughs> that we made for each other. Oh man. Oh. Then we'd get we'd get our Walkman and like split the head with a headphone splitter. Mm-hmm. And then we'd like maybe go just lay in a cemetery and smoke cloves. I mean, that would be stupid. Oh no, we totally did that. It was awesome. I, I don't I don't think that you get your goth card if you haven't at least had one date in a cemetery. Yeah, but you can't be you can't be like totally hard about it, which is why you bring chocolate chip cookie dough and like tater skins. <laughs> TGI, TGI Friday's tater skins. That was our date food. 
<laughs> I made, uh, what did I make? I made some sort of chow mein or fried rice nice. dish. And, yeah. And we so went we'll in. Ate yep. it in the graveyard? Ate it in the graveyard. We're asked to leave uh, by police at gunpoint. Uh, it was exciting. Oh, because Eastern, Eastern Oregon? Because Eastern Oregon. Yeah. Unnecessary. Uh, well, not at gunpoint, but their hands were on their guns the entire time. Uh... You know, the cemetery was, was the one place. Yeah, bad batch. Actually, uh, start the recap. I have to I have to run upstairs. Okay. Oh. I, I have to, I want to start with the fact that I really appreciate that the bad batch has the shortest intro of any TV show I watch. Not just any Star Wars show, any TV show. It's Bad Batch show. That's it. That is all it is. And yet, and yet Disney still insists on having the skip intro button on. <laughs> it's like, by the time I've hit that, it's, we're in the show. Christian made the mistake of hitting skip intro and then he had to watch the intro again because it actually resets <laughs> you that far back. And I'm like, yeah, don't do that. There is no intro. That That was it. By the time the button is there the intro is over yeah it's just a in ah, the logo and that's it um so we've got two episodes uh first is the um f- second half of what happened with the folks on ryloth where we get to see what happens with harris and the rest of the syndula family and it actually has the Bad Batch in it, as opposed to cameo, <laughs> uh, a cameo by the Bad Batch. And then the second episode is um, uh, an Ord Mantell episode where they have to help Sid out of a jam. Yes. Oh, did we not talk about episode twelve? No, because we talked okay. about the we talked about the end of Loki. And, um, and gunpowder milkshake. Right, right. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I was thinking we only had episode thirteen to discuss, but yes, let's back up then. Um, so so the, yeah, there are lots of things in this episode. So I, I guess we'll recap while he, he's gone. Um, Harrison Dula, who's now on her own and running on the run from the Empire uh, because the rest of the Sandula family is in jail for the attempted murder of the. Uh, Ryloth senator um, they uh, reaches back out to Omega and the Bad Batch to help her break her parents out of jail and get away from the Empire um, Omega manages to convince the um, why can't the I team. remember the, what's the team's actual name Unit 99 thank you um, Manages to convince Unit 99 to go back to, to Ryloth to at least hear Hera out. And then once they've heard Hera out, she makes another argument of like, this is the plan. I think it can be done. And actually, man, like the person that she ends up realizing that she has to convince each time is Hunter. It's no one else. It's he just, She just has to convince Hunter. And if there is a sound and strategic logical plan, he will go along with it. The only thing he he won't do it if you know he can't 
uh, or if if he thinks that the risk is too great to the team. Um, but if he thinks they can get away with it, he will. Right. So that's that's the recap. Um. I would say right off the bat is I'm really glad. I know it happens eventually, but I'm really glad we didn't watch Sendu Hera's mom die. Oh, that's oh. right. You were worried that that was going to happen. I was worried yeah. they were going to Bambi her. I was 100% convinced that was going to be what this episode was. And yeah. I'm so glad it wasn't. It made for a much better episode. And yeah, man, there's... um. The things that they did just linked um, the prequels and the Clone Wars more to Rebels. Which I'm really glad that they're doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Having Um, Omega be the person that put Hera in a position to pilot something for the first time mm -hmm. means that Omega is partially responsible for the formation of the rebellion mm-hmm. indirectly <laughs> I mean, which is really cool I mean well I like that also because you see it in rebels there's different factions mm-hmm. and there's a reason why in the original trilogy it's called the rebel alliance like there's a bunch of splinter groups and they don't start to win until they all band together mm-hmm and, you know, form the Alliance, you know, because in Rebels, you know, Hera and all them and the Ghost, they're their own thing. Um, even though it's really not canon anymore, but Timothy's on in the Strahd, in, Strahd, in the Thrawn novels. That's hilarious. Um, You're not wrong, though. I, they're kind of the same character, except mm-hmm. one's a vampire and one's blue. <laughs> you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, there was what was his name? Talon Card or no it, it, that's his ship. Anyway, it was a it was a Imperial senator who broke away before Mon Mothma and she was like, You're too aggressive, you're gonna make it worse, we gotta build slow. And he was like, No, jog on, I'm gonna start killing imps. Um so they've kind of already established that there are a lot of groups. So I like the idea that we may see in the future, perhaps in the book of Boba that Omega had her own thing, you know? So I think that's cool. I saw a fan drawing of an adult Omega and I got all kinds of choked up. Ooh. Ooh hey, I'm going to go look for it now. That. It was, uh, I think what really got me is the, what she was wearing, like strapped to her back is her original bow weapon. Nice. Um, Features look more like all of the other clones. Um, mm. She has the uh, the stereotypical uh, lesbian asymmetrical haircut with her white blonde hair. Right. But all of her outfit are like a pauldron from one member of the Bad Batch, breastplate from another, pauldron Aww. from another. It's like... Aww. Oh my god. Like she's that's wearing a, all of their armor. That's a stabby on the heart. <sighs> like and, and oh, yet yeah. feels completely. That's not even plausible. canon and that broke me. Ugh. Mm, mm-hmm. 
Oh, man. Now I want to know where you found that app. Um, Mike Casella's uh, Instagram stories. Oh, that takes a long time to go through. I know, but it's usually well worth it. It like, is. There are usually 30 different images every time I open his stories. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to click through because I, every single one of them are worth it. Every well, single uh, one. We'll sick Norm on it. He'll find it eventually, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Oh, but yeah. It, it, also, I'm like, I'm... oh, that hurt. <laughs> <laughs> this will come up oh. when we talk about Motu, but I'm getting very annoyed that that hairstyle just means they have to be gay. I don't think it necessarily means they have to be gay. It, to me, it 100% means they ain't all that, that straight. Well, I mean, whatever. <laughs> I just think it's an awesome haircut. It is. Yeah. I, I've never seen it on anyone who's 100% straight. Never mind. I was about to. Never mind. You're right. <laughs> Don't out anybody <laughs> right now. Um, I've had variations on that haircut, but. Um... Yeah, you said 100%. So. Yeah, not like you know, you can still be like ninety five percent hetero, but <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, uh, so yeah, I, I think we're gonna get to see. I, I'm glad, like you said, Aaron, that we didn't see a tragedy in the Sindula family. Instead, we get to see them get away yes. and uh, go off to what is clearly going to uh, be be more of the rebellion on Ryloth and of course we, we've seen the, the beginning of Hera going down that road to becoming the badass pilot that Harris and Dula that we know Harris and Dula has right um, and that poor Ryloth it does not do well no Ryloth has it rough. Not Alderaan rough, but it has it rough. Um, yeah. And then, because we're we're just reviewing that one, right? Just the 13th episode? Oh, w- there were two. 12 and 13. Because oh, the 13th right. episode was uh, the the uh, rival crime boss trying to take over Sid's space. So right, they, yeah. you know, the crew helps her steal the stash of spice, and you know, it like it's a fairly normal heist. Uh, you know, criminals screwing over other criminals. I think what's most important about it is the strengthening of the relationship between Omega and Sid and the team and Sid. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because the, uh, the the team in particular have never been overly thrilled to be working with Sid Mm-mm. or even being in that. Well, mostly not super great about being in that space. But and I, again, I if it wasn't for Omega, they might just be like, this isn't any of our business. We're going to go. And she's like, no, no, she would have helped us. We ha- we can't just walk away. That's not right. And I think both from episode 12 and episode 13, what we are seeing is Omega, Omega's influence. So, like, we've seen the team's influence on her 
as to how she's going to view the world and how she's going to survive in it. Right. Um, she's now turning the lessons that they, that she's been given by this team back to them and going, we have to do this. No, we, we can't. We, we have to take care of ourselves. It's like, that is 100% not what you taught me. We're doing this. And I think that she's going to be the, the catalyst to change them from being soldiers to heroes. Yeah. Where they're doing things because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And you can definitely see that change going on in Hunter. And he's thinking about it every single time he talks to her. He's like, shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's, like, she's right. Yeah. I mean, Wrecker's all in because he will follow Omega to the ends of the galaxy because he's mm-hmm. her big brother. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy how she's kind of like hitting Echo with little logic circles. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's kind of, yeah, he's kind of, she's kind of just like poking at him and he's having to reevaluate. In a weird way, it reminds me of the DS9 episode where the Ferengi convinces the Vulcan that she's being illogical by pushing this war within the Maquis, mm-hmm. where he literally uses the profit margin to tell her, like, you're wrong. Here's why you're wrong. And she's like, you're a Ferengi. You're all emotional. He's like, I'm not the one starting a war. I have a way to do this where everyone can make money and no one dies. But okay, be your logical self. (laughs) This is wonderful. So so this guy, Roland Durand, uh, shows up and pushes Sid out of her territory because... Like Cable said, they are rival crime uh, individuals or rival syndicates. Um, Mm -hmm. And so once Omega convinces the team uh, that they need to help her, uh, half the work's already done. Sid already has a plan for how she's going to get back at this guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and then we then we devolve into a a heist. Like you said, there they're going to go steal the spice uh, that this guy is storing in Sid's, you know, spaces that he took over, but she still has access to them. Which, yeah. Aaron, you probably know the answer to this. What is the spice that is sought after in Star Wars? I think it's it's basically drugs. Okay. Yeah. Um, right, because it can be used for medicine. Yeah, or it can be... Can be. Yeah, I think it's kind of the same way that, like, you know, you, you grind up enough whatever prescription drugs and it becomes a happy good times, you know, until it kills you. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I think that's kind of the same way it's handled in Star Wars, too. Um, so it's cocaine. It could be medicinal. It could be recreational. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure someone who knows Star Wars more than me is going to tell me how wrong I am. But my impression is always that it's not... Yeah, I mean, because even in the fucking last Skywalker, what's her name? Felicity or whatever, the character that J.J. The, the actress that J.J. Abrams puts in everything. Oh, right. And um, then he stuck her in a goddamn helmet. And then in a helmet the entire time. You yeah. find out that the whole reason why she's not friends anymore with um, Oscar yeah. Isaacs mm-hmm. is that he used to run, he, he started to run Spice and she found that offensive and Anyway, yeah. Um, I think somewhere someone said that they put spice in death sticks 
whatever. It's it's Star Wars drugs without saying drugs. Right. So it's a, it's the same thing as spice in Dune, the spice melange, where it is used as medicinal. It's used recreationally. It is used for um, space travel. I kind of glean yeah. it that way. It's yeah. just unfortunately similar name. Um, well, what's weird is this stuff is is mined, which yeah. to me sort of implies it. Like I don't know, it it originates as some sort of a stone or you know geological material. I feel like that that's in relation to like that's where you compare it to things like salt. That's true. Salt has uh, to be mined. Right, right. Salt, salt starts out in rock, in rock form. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, although, but yeah, normally I think we see it as sort of like a, a powdery dust type. Yeah. Product. It's. Yeah. There's not a whole lot given into it, so that's all. It's just, just kind <laughs> of a. Yeah. Well, then there's also something called Sansana spice that. May or may not be the same thing. Everything's really vague. Yeah, that's that's what it's you know you know the force that there you go. <laughs> right. Sorry, right. I didn't mean us to take this down this no. uh, a spice no. rabbit hole. Yeah, because they would also they'd mine it on Ryloth and it wasn't illegal. They'd mine it on Naboo and there it's not illegal. I don't know the force. I thought you only just I thought you could only get it from Kessel. No, they have the biggest mines and they have the uh... most exploited mines, and Kessel uses slave labor. Mm-hmm. Right, which you learn in Rebels. Solo. Solo. Well, and also Rebels, I guess, but yeah, <laughs> Solo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, ultimately, the heist goes bad, and so now sort of everyone's in hot water because uh, Durand knows that Sid tried to pull a fast one with the help of Unit 99, I'm sorry, it's right. Clone Force 99. Um, but there's there's the potential for uh, some new bonds to form there, again, through Omega's you know perception and behavior. Because even though she doesn't super like this guy, uh, Ruby, the lizard pet thing, <laughs> likes him. And she thinks Ruby is a, a good judge of character, I guess. Um, back from when they bonded, however many episodes back. Yeah, I think she's finding that just in order to survive, you need to be smart, but that and you need to be determined and well trained. But it doesn't mean that you need to be cruel, mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean that you cannot be kind, even to someone who perceives themselves as your enemy. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that again gets back into if this is your child character and this is the character that you're expecting children who are watching this show to identify with, that is, those are some incredible lessons and an incredible agency that you are giving to a child character to pass along mm-hmm. to other children. Mm-hmm. Right. Which I still think is one of the biggest strengths of this show. Yeah, they're not. Omega is not someone who is just talked down to. 
Like mm-hmm. she is allowed to make her own choices and influence influence her own life, which most kids aren't don't get to do. Mm-hmm. Even in Mary even Russell. in even, Yes. Yes. The, it's, it's in the chat. Yep. The chat figured it out like yeah. two minutes ago. It's fine. Yeah. I couldn't remember well, her name, and I was like, right. All right. Just, yeah. Carrie Russell. I, I just got back to the chat after looking ah. up notes and stuff. Um, yeah. I, so this, I think with this episode, there's nothing like, there are no exciting new revelations this time around, and not even necessarily hints at, you know, learning more about Omega's abilities, which I think is like a lot, what a lot of people sort of hone in on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a, a really, really good episode for, for laying more of the groundwork of the kind of person she is going to be uh, the next time we see her. Yep. And, and the way that she is already influencing the world around her. Right. She's, she's like getting enemies or a, people who perceive it to be each one another's enemies to set differences aside and, you know, let certain things go, uh, at least for the, you know, for the benefit of the long game, essentially. Right. Yeah. She has definitely, um, I think Merrick, right. Merrick described it as it's like, we're watching Omega put together her own network. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that's a really good way of putting it. Harrison Dula now owes her a favor, happily. Um, and and the because Omega was able to pay off the debt that Bad Batch owed, Bad Batch was able to go. We're not charging you for this. We're just rescuing you. Use that money to start a rebellion. Um. So, like Harrison Dula and Omega are now tight. Um, Duran by not getting killed um, and by having uh, Omega actually stick up for him. It's like, oh, you you now are owed a favor by the Duran crime family. Mm-hmm. Right. And they know it. Yeah. And that's going to come back when she really needs it. And uh, yeah, and it sets some good stuff up. And I think it also primes because we're now one of the back through the final three. Mm-hmm. Which I think is going to get really serious. I mean, episode fourteen is called War Mantle. Oh God! Uh, I have a weird feeling Sid does not survive the season. I don't know why. I can't shake that. That'd mm. be a bummer because i I would have looked forward to seeing an adult Omega reuniting or maybe cashing in some chips with Sid at some future date in her life. Um, you know, because like they they have been bonding for you know many episodes now, and you can I can totally right. see that being one of those like back pocket cards that you can pull when like when you're in some real deep shit. Mm-hmm. Sure, that's actually also why I don't think she survives the season because <laughs> she is bonding. I feel yeah, like true. we're gonna we're eventually gonna get the episode this season where the Empire comes down hard on that planet mm. to make an example kind of thing. To me, it comes down to whether or not there's a second season of The Bad Batch. I can't imagine there's not. Although it's I, true, this could be contained. They could wrap... I mean, you could... You don't have to, like, whatever, kill off characters. I mean, they can literally fly off into the sunset at the end of 16 and be like, there, we've told the story we wanted to tell. Now we're moving into 
we introduced you to Omega kind of thing. It's, it's hard to tell. Like I, I know and believe nothing like after the surprise of Loki season two. (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay. Now I I have no idea what's going to happen. Right. And that's okay. Um, I mean, boy, this is a stretch, but could you imagine that, like, at the end of season, at this season, we get a title card that says the Bad Batch will be back in the Book of Boba? <laughs> I mean, I mean, what if part things of it have, have happened? What, yeah, what if part of it is, as Boba Fett is like, yeah, he's got to cash in some receipts um, because, you know, someone killed his uncles. Like, he's he's getting the family line in order and eventually like Omega's going to help. It's a, I mean, it's already going to be a crime story. You could totally do like a Godfather style. Like I'm getting my house in order now because the galaxy has, <laughs> everyone's going to pay for what happened to our family, for what you did to us. Everyone. Yep. Ooh, that's nice. That's cool. I hope that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> If, have you, uh, speaking of Boba, uh, Boba Fett and related things, have you been reading War of the Bounty Hunters? No, is that the comic? Yeah. I haven't yet, no. It, it reintroduces a character um, from the movies into, it's the period between the end of Empire and the beginning of um, Jedi where yeah. Boba's just trying to get from Bespin City to uh, Tatooine with mm-hmm. uh, Solo. And he he's Solo is essentially hijacked out from underneath him. Um, and then yes, they that, bring... That, that body is worth some credits. Yeah. Um, so that's... That's pretty much what sets off the war, <laughs> is him hunting down all the other bounty hunters trying to get solo back, but they reintroduce a, another character that was introduced in the movies. So it's like, all right, this is more linking of these storylines. And I like feel another, like another bounty hunter. Do you mind if I spoil it? I mean, I mean, it's either a Dengar or uh Forlom and Zuckus or. Y- yes. All of those this is not a character that has been associated with four, five, and six. Oh, okay. But is in the movies? Mm-hmm. One of the more recent movies. Oh, what? <laughs> I'm trying to I'm think. Still, I got nothing, so. There's that weird Red Circle Gang thing that's in A Force Awakens. Oh, is it one of them? So, well, it's another crime syndicate. Uh, oh, is it the what is it? The Red Crescent, the Crimson Dawn. Crimson Dawn, nice. Mm-hmm. And this is weird. That's the one that's secretly led by Maul, right? Yes. Well, up until, up until there was no Maul. Right. I'm trying to think of this time. Maul, like. Maul that, dies. By yeah. then, it's Maul's dead. It would be, it would be Daenerys. Uh huh. Kira. Also, side who note, who has a direct link to Solo? Right. Who's beeping? I don't know. It's not the cat. 
Anyway, it yeah, she's the one that uh, steals it out from under Boba, and it has nothing to do with his bounty. All right, that tracks. Yeah, I can see that. Interesting. That's a good read. So that's one of those things. I'm like, oh, okay. If you want to start bringing her back into live action stuff, that's okay too. <laughs> well, I know they really wanted that to be like quote a trilogy, but also like standalone it just didn't do well enough which is a shame because i re-rigid it solo and i'm like yeah some of it's kind of ham-fisted but like at its core it's a decent star wars movie it's fine it's yeah. it's a western yep it's you know different i think from most everything that came before it in terms of you know big screen releases i think for me, it was the the scene that Solo has when he meets Chewbacca is what sells that movie. And like, because that meeting has to be believable. Right. Like that's the, that's the heart and soul of Solo is Han and Chewbacca and their mm-hmm. friendship. And it's like, oh, yep, I 100% believe that that is how the two of you met. Yeah. And just kind of set the standard for the amount of trouble that the two of you would be getting <laughs> in and out of for the rest of your lives together. Right. Um, and I also, feel like the 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 history of Han Solo and Chewbacca is something that all like most Star Wars fans have wanted for decades. Mm-hmm. So it, it's weird that it didn't. Yeah. For me, better. it was the fact that he like the fact that Han Solo in Solo spoke Wookie. It's like cool. that right there. That was that's the reason that it worked for me. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, that's why you're friends. And it's the first he... time we ever see someone do it mm-hmm. ever in Star Wars. Um, I think one of my favorite scenes is when they're with the other with Woody Harrelson and all them, and they're having that uh, that campfire moment mm-hmm. like before the job or right after the job where. What did that? Yeah, Chewbacca says something, and you know he says, "What's that?" He's like, yeah, "One guy's like something about tribe, it's you know, or family, whatever." And Woody Harrison has that line, looks at him, and says, "What's the difference?" Ah, the delivery's so good on that scene; it's so good. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, well, I, I'll, I'll be interested to see how Bad Batch ends. Yeah, I, I, I also wouldn't be surprised if they did. Like you said, have that title card that says the Bad Batch will be back in the Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. As much as I'm loving the Bad Batch, I really am, it does feel like it's like Dave Filoni and um, I forgot her name, the one who's actually writing them. Mm-hmm. So bad now. Um, well, it's Filoni's the name everyone thinks of with Star Wars now. Right. Um, There's a reason. Yeah. Th- this is really well written, groundwork laying for everything that's coming up in in in, in TV Star Wars like mm-hmm. everything that's coming up he's it, it's setting up all the groundwork for it like all of it that and, it is uh, pretty here for that pretty cool well speaking of setup should we shift to the other one yes we should Oh, by the power of Grayskull, we'll do it then. <laughs> oh my god, if we were in the studio and taking breaks, I know that we would be taking a break between the last part and this next segment. 
And I would absolutely put that Top Gun song in here for the break. Danger Zone? No, the other one. Hero. I need I need a hero. Oh, I need a hero. No, that's you associate from Footloose. That, yeah, I'm like, that, you associate that with Top what? Gun? What? Isn't that's it? Footloose, just... yes. Yeah. Oh, boo. Oh, I've never seen Footloose. Yep, it's Footloose. Is Footloose still the greatest movie of all time? It never was. <laughs> <laughs> we are like Kevin Bacon. This is the perfect spot to take a break and talk about our other sponsors. First up, Bridge City Comics. They are one of Portland's greatest comic book shops. Um, don't believe me? Find out for yourself. I know I say that a lot, but it's always true. Find them at 345. No, why did I say that? Jeez. Find them at 3725 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland, Oregon, up there in the Mississippi District of North Portland. They will have all the great comics you're looking for, and as always, if they don't have it and it's still in print, ask them to order it. They will order it for you. Uh, just go pick it up once you order it. Like, Don't be that person. Uh, in fact, also, don't be like me. I haven't picked up my subscription box in like two months because I am awful. Um, so that's a reminder that if you have a subscription box, try to go at least once a month because that's inventory they're sitting on. And don't be like Aaron. Pick up your comics on time. And uh, also, like last week or today, sorry, uh, you heard us talking about, uh, the, or you're going to hear us talk about the Masters of the Universe show. Um, if you were intrigued by that show and you were kind of wondering where some of the story was coming from, so there were some really solid Masters of the Universe comics put out by DC within the last few years. I highly recommend it. Um, and if they're still in print, there was even also the Injustice versus Masters of the Universe crossover that was equally pretty dang impressive. So if you were dugging, digging <laughs> what you've seen on Netflix with Masters of the Universe, I highly recommend seeking out the comics. And if DC is smart, they are back in print, and you will find them at Bridge City Comics, 3725 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland. Bridge City Comics. And when you are there, thank them for sponsoring Geek in the City Radio. Like our next sponsor, Guardian Games. They are our longest sponsor. We have been with them through multiple buildings, only one of which fell down, but it wasn't their fault. <laughs> Find them at 345 Southeast Taylor Street here in Portland, Oregon. Uh, a reminder that uh, Friday Night Magic is back with uh, Modern and Draft. Um, no, hold on, I get this right here. Uh, it's on Monday Modern, and then Friday Night Magic has Modern and Draft. If you want more details, Head on over to facebook.com forward slash GG Portland. That is where you will find out the most up-to-date information of everything that's happening in Guardian. Um, even though we probably are going to start tightening up because of masks and whatnot again uh, for now, uh, Guardian is still in person. Uh, of course, you know, please wear your mask inside Guardian Games. They have worked really hard to keep that place clean and safe and an outlet during times where we're all going a little bonkers. Um, don't make Guardian Games have to tighten down even more. So be cool when you're in there, all right? Uh, and yeah, when you're there, pick up all your favorite games. Um, yeah, doesn't matter what you're looking for. Uh, card games, you know the whole spiel. They've got all of it. They also have a fantastic selection of puzzles. <clears throat> and I know a lot of folks have really picked up the puzzle thing lately as a nice calming way to chill out. They have, They have the whole thing. And it's not just like, you know, Thomas Kincaid portraits of glowing English cottages like they have like the, like Becky Cloonan's cover to Castlevania I mean they have some righteous stuff anyway check them out Guardian Games 345 Southeast Taylor Street and when you're there 
thank them for sponsoring Geek in the City Radio. That's so this will still be mostly spoiler free if you haven't watched Masters of the Universe since. I will. Aaron, yes, I. You've I will watched keep all, it spoiler free. I have. You've yeah. watched all five episodes, but Bean and I have only watched the first two. Right. Which I think is important because the the first episode ties into the original series really well and gives you a finale. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let you guys take the lead on this first episode because I don't remember ever watching He-Man back in the day. I I watched it pretty religiously, and I actually think I was probably a couple years older than their demographic. I know I was was too... I was older than their demographic, and I was... Yeah, never mind. No, I was right in it because I owned a fuck ton of the action figures. I had Castle Grayskull. I had vehicles. Never had Snake Mountain. I think I'm technically a little young for it. Yeah. Yeah, with my age, that was that was my jam, and I had a ton of He-Man action figures. It might have been around. It might have still been around on syndication by the time I was old enough to be aware of it, but I don't recall. Probably, Thundercat- yeah. Thundercats was my jam, which was just a few years later. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That makes so, sense. I mean, the whole premise is that it just picks up where the series, where we last left the series, like it. it gives us actually more uh, character development than the entirety of the original series did. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, Prince Adam is uh, mother of the king, queen of Eternia. Um, his best friend, Tila, who is now finally getting promoted to the, essentially man. the captain of the guard. The, she becomes the man in arms. Yeah. Yep. Which, her, which is the title that her father Duncan held for mm-hmm. decades. Um we we see Cringer. Did Cringer talk in the original cartoon? He did. Okay. Yes. I could uh, but who didn't was Battlecat. So when Battlecat has a couple of lines, that's the big difference. Battlecat mm-hmm. just went Battlecat just roared. Right. But Cringer talked a lot, yeah. Interesting. Okay. I, I couldn't remember if he did or not. And the first time he uttered a line, I'm like, Did Cringer just wait, did Cringer talk? Yeah. And I had to remember. Um and Cringer talks a lot. Yep. Yes. Uh, I love the and and they they still played up the fact that there's only a select handful of people that know that Prince Adam is He-Man. Um, Skeletor is still trying to get into Castle Grayskull because that's Skeletor all that Skeletor does. That's all he ever does. Yeah. Um, the sorceress is just gets really tired of that. Um, but then it adds a, a few things to uh, on the classic myth of the show or the, the backstory of the show that we didn't have before, which is that Tila is adopted. That's actually hinted at in the show too. Is it? Yeah. And they combine the show canon with the comics canon where it's, mm. it, it's like Tila's adopted and she knows she's adopted. Right. But anyway, yeah. Um, Cause I don't ever remember getting that from the original series. Um, the, the subtle in public, Orko is still both is more court jester than he is wizard mm-hmm. until there's an actual fight. And then he's a motherfucking wizard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's still not great at it, mm-hmm. but, and this is something they took from the comics Orko because of his race. They're basically made of magic. He just doesn't in that classic cartoon way. The reason why he's not good at it is he doesn't believe in himself. Mm. 
clever. But when his friends are really pushed against the wall, he always finds the courage to make the spell work. Kind of. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, at the end of episode one, they effectively end the arc of the original show. Mm-hmm. And then episode two jumps forward like a decade at least. Is it? I Is it that quite far? Tell. I think it's a while, yeah. I figured it was at least five years. Maybe only five, but yeah, it jumps ahead. I mean, long enough that things have changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like, I feel like we can't really go into much about episode two without spoiling what happens in one. Mm-hmm. Suffice to say that Duncan has been banned from the kingdom. Well, this also, all happens in the first episode. Oh, that first episode, yeah. yeah. Um, Tila leaves. Yeah. Uh, Tila because becomes very... Um, trust has been broken. Mm-hmm. Hella broken. Because for those who know He-Man, Tila is the... Tila is essentially He-Man and Adam's best friend, but especially Adam's best friend. He's the one they never tell that Adam is He-Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is uh, like a trope that has been more and more addressed in a lot of superhero television shows. Right. Because it's like, oh, this is really hurtful. Mm-hmm. Why do we keep doing this? It's like, well, would they do it in the comics? It's like, yeah, but that's a really bad idea. <laughs> and that plays out more in this in these in this series when you guys watch more of it. I'm looking forward to that um, part. It also explains why. Sure. Um, and again, if you read the comic or even a couple episodes of the original one, like you know why certain things have to be kept from Tila. Um, oh, I did, and they outlined that in the first episode. No, it gets okay. it gets revealed more as this as this first five episodes break out. Okay. Like they certainly I, give that I, hint that uh, Tila's mother is the sorceress. Yeah, that yeah. was pretty heavy. Like yeah, heavy handed. Well, and and the comics reveal that she doesn't know that. Uh, the sixth episode in the original Master of the Universe series, Tila becomes the sorceress for a while. When the sorceress gets so hurt, she can't maintain it. Which kind of ties into, I remember at one point with the action figures, Tila and the Sorceress were the kind of the same. And then they seemed like they split those into separate characters. Yeah. Interesting. And yeah, in that that first episode, the Sorceress says something that very strongly implies motherhood Mm -hmm. to Tila. But Tila, if I recall, did not actually respond to that comment. Not in yeah, any her, like direct manner. She they just kind of move on. Her response was, "Lol, what?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so I'm that'll go back be to fighting evil in now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, if we don't want to talk about you know what happens too much, so we're not giving things away to anyone who hasn't seen it yet. You know what we can hella talk about is this fucking cast. Oh my god! Everybody yes. is in this. Uh, Chris Wood is He-Man. Uh, we best know him as uh, Monel mm-hmm. on Supergirl. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller is playing Tila. I did not pick up on that at all. Oh, I did immediately. You know, like, well, I she pay- started talking, and I'm like, "That's Sarah Michelle Geller." And I do that. I am usually pretty good at picking up voice actors, uh, but I didn't catch her uh, who who was unmistakable to me was Lena Headey as uh, Evelyn. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I don't, that's I don't the know one the that character. I didn't pick up. 
Yeah. Oh no, I could not. Uh, I can't not see her when I see that character now. I'm like, he is such a good evil Lynn too. Well, and like structurally, she the the character is 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 drawn in a very Lena Headey sort of way. Yeah, and it's, it's because it's Lena Headey. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean that was one thing. Like when when so a little bit. So the second episode is just called the Chalice or whatever. And like the moment Poison you chalice. see that, yeah, the moment you see that old woman, I was like, oh, that's evil, man. Like, oh, of course it is. And and they're not really trying to be too clever about it, but I'm no. like, that's that's evil, man. I'm so here for that. Yeah. Uh, and then another like really prominent voice is uh mark hamill as skeletor yep uh that, uh, you, that one's hard to miss yeah like an extra evil joker now mm-hmm. um you get yeah i don't I can't, I can't say much more um the fun thing you don't hear him much in the first episode for obvious reasons um the voice actor um alan oppenheimer is the voice of moss man uh, he was also. I'm trying to double check here to make sure I don't get this wrong. Um, he was in the original filmation. He was Man at Arms and Merman. Oh, and they asked okay. if he could come back to do a voice, so he used the voice of Moss Man, which is pretty great. Nice. Um, uh, I was also really happy with Stephen Root as Cringer and Battle Cat. Mm-hmm. Super good. Uh, like. I can I could totally hear it the entire like oh yeah yep there there's, you are Stephen Root Liam few... Cunningham who plays Man at Arms was one that uh, yeah that like, ah, he's again, so good like, as you, that you, you hear it you just hear him yeah and, and it it works really well for the character I think I don't know the characters that well but it it worked for me I'll say oh yeah no he makes a great Man at Arms um, um, Diedrich Bader is Trap Jaw he also played King Randor mm-hmm. which is pretty um, great. Always, always a favorite of mine. Uh, I really enjoyed the, and I could hear it when he was preaching. Um, Henry Rollins' Triclops. Triclops. He's been doing more and more voice work lately, I think. Oh, he's yeah. always done voice work. He's done yep. it for a long time. He loves it. He's oh, done a lot of shit just... just because people go, hey, Henry, you want to do this? Oh, yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah. I totally I... do that, man. <laughs> I only recently started catching him and stuff. Uh, if you get a chance without deviating too far, he did a movie about 10 to 15 years ago. Uh, oh, man, I'm trying to find it. He basically plays... I've got to find it really fast here. Are you talking about He Never Died? Yes! It's been on Netflix for years. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah, Wait, 2015. Oh, I guess that was. Yeah, where he's... Not so subtly, he's basically Cain, mm-hmm. like the biblical Cain. Yep, he can't die. Oh, Bean, I think you dig it. It's What's good. it called again? He never, he never died. died. Yeah, it's solid. It's solid flick. Oh, I remember seeing like Netflix was pushing this on me a lot, and I don't know why I never got around to it. I think you, I think you dig it. Cool. It's it's been on my to watch list for a long time too, Bean, and I just yeah. haven't gotten around either. Um, maybe we, maybe I, we should watch it soon and maybe talk about that. Um, I don't want to say more because it spoils some stuff, but there are some voice actors coming up where you're going to be like, what? Uh, and, you know, it's Kevin Smith, so he works in some of his buddies. So yep. you know mm-hmm. that's coming. 
Sure, yeah. sure. That's that's. You uh, know, in fact, I is. think episode three is when you hear one of them, and it's kind of fucking perfect in a weird Kevin Smith way. It's episode two. Uh, oh yeah, Stinkor. Jason Mewes as Stinkor. The you know skunk. The, the skunk. Sure, sure. I'm just like I get your filthy hands off my mech, Smirch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other uh, funny thing about that. That is the first appearance of Stinkor in any in, in He Man. He appeared in the early two thousands one, but in terms of the original filmation, Stinkor's not in it huh. uh, because the filmation company found the character to be too offensive for TV. <laughs> because his whole power is stinking, stink, yeah. And if you find a figure to this day, they still smell. Because Stinkor was made by adding patchouli oil into the plastic, and then they made the figures. Aww. Right. Oh, yeah. no. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Stinkor Gross. figures, to this day, they don't Stink. really lose their scent. You kind of get them wet and rub on them a little bit, and like, oh, there it is. Wait, I'm sorry. What? Uh, Kevin Conroy. See, now you're looking ahead. No, okay. that was in the chat. Sorry. I'm not trying oh. to spoil anybody's anything. Uh, Bex in the chat. Sorry, I'm not throwing Bex out of the bus either, but she was just saying uh, uh, how notable they are when their voices are happening yeah. on your on your TV. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, moving uh, on. Brad also brings up the fact that Alan Oppenheimer was also Skeletor. Yes, he was. Uh when you guys are done, there's like an after show after the first five episodes mm-hmm. where they interview, like Kevin Smith interviews a bunch of people involved in the show. And there's a Alan Oppenheimer has a story that will make you tear up oh, okay. about the influence that he didn't realize he had on on kids that now met them that met him later as an adult. And like, you have no idea how you kept me going. And it's those things that like, you know, it's the 80s. It's just a job. Mm hmm. You know, the same thing happened to Peter Cullen, the voice of Optimus Prime. People come to him later as an adult, and they're like, you have no idea. Like, dad left my mom when I was five. Optimus Prime became my dad. All of my moral lessons (laughs) and how to be a man and how to be a good person came from Optimus Prime. And he's like, at first I thought it was a joke. And he's like, I had no idea the impact that this character had. You know. Well, the adults at the time always knew, or you know, were, were aware of the fact that those those Saturday morning cartoons were cash grabs to to oh, help yeah. sell toys. Commercial. So, oh. yeah. So, like, if you're an adult and you're already cynical and you're like, yeah, whatever, this is a paycheck and it's just it's just a thing that they developed to sell some toys. You know, you're going to be cynical about that and not really look at it from that child's perspective. Yeah, but when you're eight years old and you see this robot. Who would literally like jump in front of a gun because Megatron's going to kill, you know, these humans that maybe are from a quote, you know, primitive thing, whatever. And, you know, Megatron's like, why do you do this? And like Prime's like, all sentient life deserves freedom. And to make when you're eight years old, you're like, yeah, that's a good idea. And like that shit sticks (laughs) with you, you know? (laughs) Right. I think that, I think all of that is uh, the, golden side of nostalgia for all of these things mm-hmm. um, and I think it while it is uh, easy to say it's cynical I, uh, to just look at these things and go oh it's a way to sell toys to children 
I think it is important through the lens of today to be able to look at it and go, well, that's, that's still a valid criticism to have because that's exactly part of the capitalistic drive that's put us here now. Right. But it doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that there were still people who were taking the the source material and going, what stories can we tell to inspire? Right. Um, Yeah. I don't mean for, I don't, I'm not saying that that's the capitalist basis for the creation of these things uh, negates the value that it had. I'm saying it's just like when you're the, the adults who are doing it, maybe most of them aren't seeing the, the value of it in that sort of, you know, from that child's perspective, from the young people who are absorbing it and, and becoming their own storytellers later on or how they are inspired by them. And why would they? Because it was the eighties and making money was the only focus for most people. Yep. Well, that was the focus of getting more money so that you could do more cocaine. (laughs) Yes. One one. hand in hand with the, You've, and I mean, I, I cocaine don't, costs money. It really. If does. you make more money, you can buy more cocaine. <laughs> I don't know why I'm making. First, balance. you get the power. First, you get the money, then you get the cocaine, and then you get more money, and then you get more cocaine. <laughs> Say hello to my little friend. Uh, Says the man yes. who's never done cocaine, so I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's very accurate. Um, Yes, and I, and I, again, I I am like overgeneralizing. I'm sure that there are plenty of people who were, you know, the creators in those times who who saw the important elements of that work. Otherwise, I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't have touched anybody. You know, yeah. somebody in the writers' room and in somebody in the art department was putting some some actual heart and soul in there. Even if most people were like, right. "This is going to make us so much money," right. I, I don't think that you're overgeneralizing. I, and I, it wasn't a critique of what you were saying. I was just yeah. saying that both of those things can simultaneously exist. Um, you, you can be critical of the hyper-capitalization, uh, f- focusing on children's toys, which is a, a shooting fish in a barrel, and the uh, importance of being able to tell stories that inspire using whatever whatever characters and whatever source material is available to you. Right. And quite frankly, I'm glad that we focused more on the positive aspects of nostalgia for things like this, like, which I don't have, I'm not watching He-Man out of a nostalgic factor, which is fine because then I don't get mad at it the way that the ugly side of nostalgia does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I I know we were going to talk about that, but I don't, Want to. I don't want to. I mean, it's always the same thing. We've had yeah. this art. We've had this conversation so many times. It's always the same thing. Yeah. It's a very small but incredibly vocal minority of dudes, and mm-hmm. almost always white dudes, mm-hmm. that are just infuriated that it's not what they think it should be. Right. Uh, first off, it's not called He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. It's called Masters of the Universe. Yep. And to say that. And Kevin Smith has said this. Tila is one of is the primary character in the first half, but mm-hmm. to say that He Man has been sidelined for a secondary character is disingenuous if you consider yourself an old school Motu fan because Tila is in every fucking episode well, of, and, the and again, of, of the original series. She's in all of them. 
Also, he's had his time. He's not being sidelined. It's just somebody else's turn now to be the lead of the stories being told in this universe. It's also disingenuous to consider him sidelined when his actions and his existence are the driving force behind all the other characters' motivations. That's true. I will also give, this is a spoiler, if you haven't seen episode one, I'm sorry. So, five, four, three, two, one. To say what He-Man does at the end of episode one is sidelining him is also disingenuous to understanding the universe. He-Man dies saving Eternia. And the universe. And the universe. Like, ultimately, He-Man knew that that might be my job one day, and I do it willingly. And they have a conversation about it in the moment. You can die if you do this. So many other people will die if I don't. Yeah, not to bring, like, the Bible into this, but that's saying that, like, the New Testament sidelines Jesus, because he's only in the first four books, because then he dies. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I was just saying, like, it's... In a weird way, it's kind of the same thing. Know, I, I, or that I, Tony Stark was sidelined at the end of Ed Game. Like, yeah. no. I, I think it was very um, important that that entire moment is not just, he's not just He-Man, he's also Adam. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because when we see the end result of what happens, that's Adam. It's not He-Man. I also really enjoyed the fact that this is the first time in animation that Prince Adam is actually rendered as a young man who is very small build and in no way, shape or form would anyone mistake him for He-Man versus the original cartoon where he was... Like the difference between He Man and Adam were a set of clothes, and it was that purple, was, it. It was a purple vest and white leggings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but so, uh, while yeah. we're on the topic of appearance, I cannot get over that transformation sequence. It is just absolutely hands down magical boy transformation. Oh yeah. Yep. It was just like so perfectly done, and I was not expecting it. I, I I'm pretty sure I just like scream laughed out loud getting ready for work this morning because yeah. I wasn't ready for it. Well, and what it if He so... Man? What if He Man was Sailor Moon? Yeah, I, I yeah. knew that was coming, and it was still fantastic to watch. Yeah, and I I feel like I should apologize to the people who told me that I needed to have I needed to watch Shira because I still haven't, and I'm pretty sure that Shira did something similar. Oh yeah, and and so like I'd like to think that that paved the way for doing it here, also because it's Kevin Smith and he's kind of a dumbass sometimes, but in the best way. Because he's he is simultaneously a raunchy 13 year old boy, but a super sensitive 16 year old girl. Like that's. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where he lives. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. even his own daughter. You no, know, he got like super stoned and was like laughing and or crying about this oh, idea he was on his own podcast. When he got the first uh, animatics of the He Man change, he had the Bear Mercury. He sent him that theme. Mm-hmm. You know, he flattered him. He's like, I was baked as hell. He says, but I rolled tears, many tears. It was beautiful. <laughs> no, his I- own daughter tells him, "Is like, Dad, you, you're not." A- 
teenage girl. And he's like, how do you know? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's important that, I think the reason that that transformation works is that Smith did not have that played for laughs. It was played, even though he likes to goof around, (laughs) he didn't play that for laughs. He played that for sincerity. No, no, I definitely perceived it to be sincere, but, but at the same time, it's funny because you, I never expected to see, you know, He-Man is just like this roided out muscle monster. And I never expected to see him have a magical girl transformation. So it it was the transformation he deserved. I loved it. I was, yeah, I I Uh, have many different feelings about it, but they're all positive. (laughs) <laughs> I know I know we've got to wrap up soon but I, I yeah. did want to say to the folks that are upset that this is not like this whole it's like oh you've made it too gay or you, it's like there was there was nothing not queer about the original He-Man <laughs> right. have you seen what he's wearing and um, I I want my read on both Adam and He-Man is like, oh, oh, you were 100% sexually fluid. You were not heterosexual. I don't know about Adam, but definitely He-Man. He-Man likes to have a good time. I don't think Adam, the way that that came across, it's like, yes, I'm hiding a secret identity. But the the secret that I'm hiding about my identity is not that I am sexually open. (laughs) That's fair. And I again, I don't have I don't have any context on that to either agree or disagree. But um, I had a very similar conversation uh, with Christian about musicians in the eighties, where like in retrospect, it was always very obvious: Elton John, Freddie Mercury, even David Bowie, who at one point early in his career, I didn't know this, said like openly said, "I'm gay. I always have been." And then like in later years, like. Walked it back pretty hard, yeah. Yeah. Um, Liberace. Liberace was the other one. Like all of these artists who are super famous and super gay, you know, they're just like the only thing they didn't do was say it, Mm -hmm. and that gave everyone a certain amount of plausible deniability, right? To you know, people who would not have been okay being fans of a gay artist, but didn't want to stop liking these artists, right? Um. All that to say, you know, just, why not He-Man or yeah. Adam? Um, yeah. What's funny, I saw this review that I know was meant to be negative. I put it on my Facebook page, but it still made me laugh. This, quote, negative review ended with like, well done, lesbians. You took something else from us. Great. Which is funny for many. But what the funny thing is that everyone involved in the show has been like, yeah, Tila's not gay. I... No, they flat out said she's not. Okay. But the main thing they want to drive is that she is not a couple with Andra. And and I respect that and I, I get I believe that. I don't believe yeah. that, that is played that way. Saying Tila is not gay is also is not saying Tila is not straight. Right. I think with the the point that that, that Smith and like um uh Mark Bernardin and um a lot of the writers involved in it, I think their point is that like, it says more about you when you see like a, like a physically 
built woman that has that haircut that that is close friends with another woman who is physically built. The first thing you think is like, well, they can't be friends. They have to be lovers. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's on you. That's a you problem. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I'm not saying I just pre-ordered the Tila action figure, but I totally did. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Can we just say that after episode one, Tila looks fucking badass. Mm -hmm. Episode two, Tila is just, is perfect. Yeah, I love how they're all drawn. The animation style is great. It's the same studio that did the Castlevania series. I I couldn't remember if you had mentioned that or not, but it definitely has that same vibe. So yeah, yeah, no, it, I think they, I think yeah, I think the animation is fantastic. The the fight scenes, which you'll get way more of. I like it. It's this like really interesting like modern blend of American and Japanese animation styles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm yeah. I, I'm only bummed that I have to wait however many months for the back half. Yeah, when um, does that come out? I don't know. They're all done. Um, just Netflix decided to split them up. It was really charming. I guess this last week, like because Kevin Smith can take things so personally. First off, it's his highest critic. It's his most critically acclaimed, acclaimed writing ever. It's like a ninety-five percent critic on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, the AV Club gave him a positive review, and the AV Club fucking hates him. <laughs> um, That's impressive. Yeah. Uh, but, like, the, 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 the fan, the viewer reviews in Rotten Tomatoes are, like, 5%, because it's getting review bombed. And he was, he did this thing, he mentioned things, like, I was really nervous that, like, Netflix was going to pull the plug and not, not only not give us a season two, but, like, maybe not even air the back five. And apparently he ended up having, like, a call. With the Netflix people, like I'm so sorry. It's, a lot of these fans are they're so angry about it. And apparently, Netflix was like, "Yeah, we don't care about that. Like, that's not part of our metrics at all. Like, we're we're streaming viewers, subscribers. Um, relax, Kevin. We really don't give a shit when something gets review bombed by people because we know it doesn't matter." It, and it, he was like, "Oh, okay." It also still means they watched it. Yep. That's true. Yeah. And that's the number that Netflix cares about. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of Weird Tangent, like Howard Stern in the early 80s, because he was getting all this hate mail. The studio's getting all this hate mail. And then the person with the ratings came in because the station manager wanted to fire him at WNBC. Mm-hmm. Um, was like, uh, we just got the listening time of Howard Stern fans they are tuning in for 23 minutes straight, which is a big deal in radio. And the manager's like, well, how about, what about people that hate him? And they're like, they're tuning in for 30 minutes. That's why I don't hate watch anything anymore. It sucks yeah, you in. Yeah, I don't either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because it only helps them. It only encourages them. And that's why I never watched Survivor. Yeah, no interest but in if it. If I could go back in time, I would unwatch Jersey Shore. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, Bean. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just, you know, it was this thing that everyone was talking about how awful these people were, and I just had to see, and then I couldn't stop. Oh. Yeah, yeah, some dark times. Also, you know, my life wasn't that great back then, so it was probably the most exciting, non-harmful to me thing going on at the time that's fair all right i'll give you that well should we wrap up the show i think so and go see motu 
go watch it. It's fun. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bex mentioned in the chat that like she's watching it with her daughters, and when they were done, they were like, "Let's watch it again." <laughs> so, and I and I know from her telling me that they were all really into Shira. Both totally different shows, by the way. Mm, yes. So different, but both great in their own way. Um, Shira is hella gay. <laughs> well, yeah, like I, I think that's yeah. that is not a secret. No, intentionally so. Yeah, no, it's it, yeah, but also um, badass. You should all go I look s- this up. I saw those today. What is this? This is the the Marvel minifigs that are coming out. Yes, that is. Uh, where's my finger? It's the Disney Plus plus What If, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, what if that is Frog Thor? Hey. I think Frog Thor comes with Loki, and Alligator Loki comes with um, Sylvie. Sylvie. Yep. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, comes out September first. If you're a Lego head, go buy them. That's all. Mm-hmm. No, I'm definitely all over those. Those are pretty great. So next week, Cable, you'll be gone, correct? I'll be out next week. All right. Just me and Bean. Maybe we'll get a guest in. Maybe. There's the, we have several things in the works. We'll see which one of them pans out first. Right. And then hopefully folks enjoyed the commercial at the opening. Uh, But let's welcome Wandering Monster as the newest sponsor for Geek in the City Radio. Yay! Yay! I'm not going to go it all over again because I literally did a commercial 90 minutes ago. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, uh, Greg has talked about this for a while, starting the company. Uh, yeah, basically hire a DM to run games for you. Like the whole thing. It's pretty cool. So yeah, welcome, Wandering Monster. Hopefully we help you get lots of players. Indeed. Yeah. Well, with that, I'm Aaron Duran. I'm Bean Rita. And I am Cable Hashitani. And we will speak to everyone next week. I have the power! Uh, Magical girl transform now. (laughs) Hey, man. You bubbling boom? I got nothing.